Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 289 of the Tick Bootcamp podcast. The title of today's interview is Confidence in Lime, an interview with the amazing Sarah Corliss. My name is Cassidy. And I'm Matt Sabatello. I have known Matt and Rich for about two and a half, three years now when they discovered me on social media. I have had Lime for the past 10 years. I got it when I was 14. I've tried almost every medicine in the book from antibiotics, homeopathics, herbals, Chinese medicine, two pick lines. I had the fatigue, the joint pain, brain fog. I was paralyzed for nine months and I am still here to tell my story today. So I'm so excited to be here and have you all listen to Sarah's story about not only her journey, but her two children's journeys as well. So without further ado, here is Sarah Corliss. Hello, Sarah. Welcome to the Tick Bootcamp podcast. Thanks for being here today. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited and a little nervous. <laughs> Don't okay. be nervous. We're all <laughs> friends here. It's so great to meet you. Let's dive into your story. So I know you are Irish, but you are currently living yeah. in Georgia. Can you tell us a little bit about young Sarah growing up? What was that like? <laughs> sure. Well, um, I grew up in Dublin, um, about six miles um, outside of the city um normal you know normal childhood um was I was very studious kid and I was quite athletic I did uh, field hockey was my main thing I did and also um I wasn't a great student but like I didn't love I was a little lazy about it but I did get good grades and I was quite determined to go to university and have a great career and all that kind of stuff so um really Back then, I felt like my biggest asset was my brain. You know, I always was like, you know, whatever else, you know, is going on in my life, I'm smart. So all, that's all. That's cool. You know, so I'm going to be fine. I'm always going to be able to work hard, um, achieve things because I'm going to be able to use my brain and that's it. And I had no fear of working hard. I, you know, worked various different crappy jobs along the way because when I came out of university in Ireland, the economy was really crap. So most people had like overeducated for the jobs that they did. So um, my big, my big thing was languages. I loved languages. So in high school, I studied French, German, Latin, Irish, English, um, and then went on to university and took up Spanish. So I got a degree in Spanish and French. Um, but I was kind of one of many out there, you know, it wasn't a big deal, you know, still, you know, was begging for a receptionist job when I got out of college sort of thing. So, um, yeah, that was, um, life wasn't, uh, anything spectacularly different, just normal, sort of normal, normal upbringing. And growing up in Ireland, was Lyme disease ever talked about anywhere or ticks or anything of that sort? Nope. So never you, heard of it before. So when you got to Georgia, was that the first time you ever had heard about yeah. it? Even then? So um, I left Ireland. I'm now I'm going to be 50 in November. And I left Ireland when I was 24. And I moved to the Cayman Islands for six years. So I was there till I was almost 30. And um, I honestly don't know when I was bitten. Um, I look back now, I mean, there should, there's no deer in the Cayman Islands. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't really have health issues when I was younger. So um, I had like mild anxiety. Um, 
but I, I think I don't know for sure when I got bitten. Um, and, you know, I look back now and there's various moments in my life that I'm like, I wonder, was that that, you know? Okay. So I actually it was, you're, you're right. It was in Georgia because I'd been sick for a long time and it was in Georgia that I was diagnosed by a functional doctor. Um, but I didn't know anything about it. It, it. it was a name that sort of floated around, but I hadn't, you know, didn't know how or why or what the ins and outs of Lyme disease were at all. I don't think anyone does until you truly get it yeah. as we know, but so let's go back for a second. And what were your first symptoms and when did that all begin? Well, it's a good question because I look back in 2002, I had what I call my little mental breakdown where all of a sudden it was almost like overnight. I, um, just got really, really depressed, really anxious. And I think slightly psychotic. Um, and I actually couldn't work for like a year. And I thought they kept telling me, oh, you're depressed. You've got anxiety. Um, and I completely fell apart because all of a sudden my brain stopped working. So I, that scared the absolute shit out of me because I was like, this is my brain has just been the thing. Like that's always been, you know, my little weapon. Um, and I'm not saying I'm a genius <laughs> by any means, but like, I always felt like confident enough in my brain. Like I was fine. I'd remember stuff. I, I always felt like I can learn stuff no matter what challenge I get, like I'll be able to learn it and apply it like in a job or whatever. So, um, but I was living in the Caymans at the time and I had traveled outside of the Caymans um, off and on with my boyfriend at the time. He's now my husband to Canada. So now I look back and I'm like, did I get bitten in Canada? Cause we used to be outside running his, his family were from the countryside and we'd be out running in the grass and our bare feet and having mm -hmm. water fights in the summer and stuff like that. And yes, I was 30 when I was doing that, you know, hey, sound like do it while you can. <laughs> so it's possible I got bitten on one of my many trips there. And then because there's no, I don't, I don't think there's any, I shouldn't say this because I know we're not supposed to say there isn't Lyme in certain spots, but I don't really believe there is any Lyme in Cayman. Um, there's no deer. There's, I mean, I know there's mosquitoes, so maybe they bring it in now, but um, so I don't know, but I had this situation and I was told, you know, it's all in your head. So I went even further down the rabbit hole of depression because I'm like, you're mad. You're totally nuts. What's wrong with you? Get yourself together. And when I couldn't work, that was like something that changed me forever because um, I'm like, you can actually not work. You can't think straight. You can't work. You can't go into work because everybody can see that you're nuts. And that really was something that shifted like my confidence in a big, big way. Like I really lost a good part of myself during that time. Um, but I did get better in a way I was doing, I was taking antidepressants, I was doing counseling and um, I managed to start working again uh, about a year later, but I still just never felt myself. Um, so that was, um, I think that was around 2002 when that all went down and then went on to get married and everything was a lot better and um, and I was okay. And then in two, I had my daughter in, uh, 2007, but I moved to, let me see, I moved to New Jersey, um, in 2006 and, um, uh, 
I kind of think that this is possibly where I got bitten, but then based on my weird experience in 2002, I'm not sure. That might be just a completely separate episode that maybe I just lost it, you know. So um, in 2007, um, yeah, 2006, I moved to New Jersey and um, I used to take my little dog out into this like forest in back of our house and sit on a tree stump and watch him run around. And I was pregnant at the time. And because I am not an outdoorsy girl. <laughs> Same. <laughs> I don't go camping. I don't, I don't dream of hiking. I, do, I just don't like, I just don't do any of that stuff. So it's like, how the hell did this happen to me? Um, so um, that's one of the things I thought about because you're in New Jersey, of course, which is pretty prevalent. Lime is pretty prevalent there. And then I had my dog who could have brought it in on him and it was always sleeping in my bed. But I was also out there in the back with him watching him run around, sitting on tree stumps and walking through God knows what. So, um, you know, my pregnancy was kind of tough, um, which also could have been from Lyme I don't know yep. um, but not not outrageously tough um, so I had my daughter and I um, was just exhausted but you're having you have a baby and then I think um, a couple of years later uh, we went back to Cayman for a visit mm-hmm. and I've been having lots of jaw pain so I was like taking a leave or Tylenol or something like it was going out of fashion I was like popping them like crazy and um when I got to Cayman, I was just, I was not in good shape. I was like really dizzy, really sick to my stomach. The jaw pain was terrible. So I go to the doctors there. My, I'm staying with friends of mine who think I'm nuts because I didn't want to leave the house because I was dizzy. So then I start thinking I'm going nuts again. I'm having an episode of craziness. The doctors are like, oh, this is all in your head. You've been taking those pain medicines. That's why your stomach is upset. But I couldn't. I remember in her neighborhood, she had all these speed ramps. And every time we went over one, I was like, oh, God, I'm going to puke. So I'm like, there's something wrong with me, you know. Um, And that's kind of where things sort of started a little bit there. And again, I was told it was all anxiety and depression and there's nothing wrong with you. And I didn't have that many aches and pains that I remember. And I just kind of plodded on through. And at this point, I was staying at home with my my daughter. I hadn't worked in a while because I couldn't get a visa in the States anyway. I was allowed to stay here because I was my husband's Canadian. So based on being married to him, I was allowed to stay, but not work. But that worked out because I had the baby and whatnot. So um, I kind of started going um, downhill around. So I had my son in 2011. And I remember like not being able to get over that pregnancy going up the stairs and just being exhausted and um like this is weird like and I had well after my daughter I worked out a lot like I was not I was not like a crazy athletic person in my 20s after high school I did you know did a lot of field hockey there but I um I would go to the gym like four times a week Mm -hmm. of course I couldn't do that after a while um but I'd say um when everything sort of came to a head, it was 2013 and I had been sick for a couple of years, but my main symptoms were started off with at that time, terrible, terrible headaches, terrible nausea. I always had jaw pain um, as well, but I just attributed that to TMJ and, oh, you know, it's no big deal. I'm just grinding my teeth. Um, 
but I was sort of like unable to move for about six weeks and I was wanted to throw up every time I moved and um so went to the neurologist of course they told me that you've got migraines you're in your 40s now it's obviously hormonal you've got migraines so um they gave me migraine medicine they told me I had vertigo because every time they tried to get me to walk in a straight line I was like you know going to fall over so anyway um that didn't help and I started getting myoclonic movements you know, like little jumps. And I recognize them because my brother has epilepsy and he used to get them a lot. And I'm like, oh my God, what is this? Um, so during that time as well, um, I started drinking more and more and more. And I was always a bit of a binge drinker, you know, anyway, but I was drinking way too much. Uh, it sort of slowly got worse and worse and worse. Um, but um, so I actually saw quite a, you know, an impressive neurologist, just your regular mainstream neurologist. And luckily enough, she was open-minded and said to me, I, I don't know what this is because we've done an MRI, we've done an EEG. Um, you know, have you ever thought about going to a functional doctor? And she actually sat in her office and Googled it somebody near me. She's like, why don't you try this lady? That's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. So I was like, okay. Um, and I went and I saw her and she ran a bunch of tests and I go back and she says, you have Hashimoto's. And I'm like, praise Jesus. This is my problem. It's sorted. Okay. This is why I'm dizzy. This is why I gain weight and can't lose it. And this is why I feel like crap all the time. And She's like, but I think there's more to the story. I want to test you for Lyme. And I'm like, oh, okay. Um, so she actually ran like a lab core um, Lyme test on me. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it came back positive. So like, I'm like, yeah, I'm like CDC positive. <laughs> well, yeah, that's now, right? Incredible. I, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, wow. I didn't know what a big deal it was until obviously later. But she didn't test me for any co-infections or anything. So I think she was sort of new in her Lyme journey, you know, treating patients and stuff. Um, so, um, yeah, during that time, like I was in and out of the emergency room before I was diagnosed. I was trying to work out with personal trainers and I would start like I remember I worked out with a personal trainer one time and I'm standing outside the gym talking to him. And I'm like, and he's like, What? And I just after our workout, I couldn't speak. Um, and I ended up in the emergency room and I just, just tell them I had migraines because I didn't know what it was. Um, but yeah, I started slurring. I got my lovely myoclonic movements that made me reminded me of my brother growing up. Um, so, um, yeah, it was, if I didn't get at the time, I, the, the uh, functional doctor put me on antibiotics Okay. So I am not sure I've been looking back in my medical records, trying to, you know, figure out what, what, what I did and when, but I feel like I was on them for about a year and a half, like pulsing them. That might sound long. I'm not sure. Um, Sarah, before we go into your treatment, can we just, yeah. I just want to step back a little bit and just dig a little bit deeper on some of the things we talked about with Cassidy already. Sure. If that's okay. Because yeah. so much of what you described, I mean, our classic Lyme symptoms. They're not just 
autoimmune Hashimoto symptoms. They're not just migraine symptoms. They're not just TMJ symptoms, but yet yeah. you were pigeonholed into a lot of these specialty diagnoses, right? Yeah. And pri- even, even earlier back prior to that, you were basically told it's in your head. You're crazy. And you described the moment where you were, you, you were out and about, you had extreme dizziness and they were telling you just it's anxiety, right? Yeah. So what I want to know is what impact did that have on your relationships, on your relationship with, with you know, at that point you were a, a new mom, right? So how, how did that impact you as a mother and in your relationship with your, with your family and your friends while now dealing with these new struggles that were mm. really, you know, real symptoms, but you're being told, Hey, look, it's all in your head. You're crazy. You know, how is that impacting your life? Um, it was very difficult because, um, you know, people were trying to help, but they just thought I was not, you know, they thought, well, you've always had a bit of anxiety. So this makes sense, you know, and, um, I didn't know what was going on. So I really thought I was going crazy. And that was, as I said earlier, the worst thing ever. And it's changed me forever because, I felt like that was my, not my superpower, but my only real power was my brain. And I'd always relied on it so much. So um, that scared the living Jesus out of me when I kind of felt like I lost that. I've lost my mind. And I remember looking in the mirror and looking in my eyes and not recognizing um, my myself. And when I'd go out, I felt like I was floating outside my body. And I was like, what is happening? So with relationships at the time as well, like I, well, as a new mom, I was home a lot anyway. And my husband used to travel a lot, but I think he just thought like, what have I signed up for? Because he was like, all right, so we've only been married a few years. Well, like he stuck with me when I had my first breakdown. So, um, but he was convinced it was all, you know, in my head too, because that's what the doctors are telling us. And that's, um, you know, I was very tired with my daughter um, and I don't feel like I had um, that I had a sort of a post um, natal depression, but I definitely felt like out of my own body and kind of like, you know, everything was a little foreign to me, but um, I I was lucky. I'm sorry to interrupt, but it's not uncommon. We've interviewed a lot of moms who have yeah. told us after they gave birth is when their Lyme symptoms kicked in in full force, right? So yeah. this is not an uncommon story we're hearing, but yet because you were a new mom and it's, it's stressful being a mom, I think you were stereotyped a little bit that you're a new mom, you're stressed. It's yeah. all in your head, just get some rest. You can't really be sick. You're just a mom, just deal with it, right? I mean, that's yeah. a lot of what I'm hearing here. And that that's lasted exactly. for about a decade, right? So I wanted for our listeners, let's give some time frame here. You were, I think, early 30s, about 30 when you first became symptomatic and about 40 Mm -hmm. when you got diagnosed. So this is almost a decade of being ill before getting a diagnosis, correct? Yes. Okay. So, and you mentioned that your husband and you at the time believed it was all in your head. Were you seeing a therapist? Were you taking anything for this, you know, depression, anxiety, whatever they were claiming it was associated with? And was that medication helping you before you found your other diagnoses like Hashimoto's and migraines, et cetera? Um. It seemed like it wasn't helping me. I kept upping the dose, upping the dose and things were actually some stuff was, so I was taking antidepressants and some stuff, you know, really made me worse. Um, at one point I was given Ativan, which I'd been scared of taking before, but that actually helped. Um, but that would make sense. I suppose now looking back, if I had some other stuff going on, like mast cell stuff, you know, or whatever, which I've been later diagnosed with, like, you know, that calmed my systems down a bit, um, to keep going. 
um, I was lucky. I had a, a very good friend living in New Jersey who was actually a social worker and she was just a very calming presence in my life. Like she believed it was, you know, based on my diagnosis, it was anxiety. And, but she kind of kept, you know, was almost like a therapist to me in everyday life. So that was, that was amazing. But um, yeah, I felt, I felt really crazy when we went to the Caymans and I was so looking forward. I hadn't been back there in years and my daughter was two and it was going to be great. We we're going to go to the beach and I couldn't leave the house. And I convinced myself then that I was nuts because you know, I'm only feeling sick because I'm crazy, you know. I want to talk about that for a second. Sorry, Sarah, with like when everyone is just telling you it's all in your head, your anxiety, what that does to you and your Mm -hmm. own relationship with yourself, because I, we've all been there before when people tell you it's crazy and the self-doubt and things. And just what did that do to you? I know you said like your brain was your superpower. How do you get through that? Um, I still haven't. it's still, it's still a real big thing in my life. Like I don't trust my brain. I don't trust myself. I sort of second guess myself, you know, not not only that, but like as the years have gone on, it takes me a lot longer now to process information. So, you know, I could have read a textbook in my mid twenties, early thirties and been like, Oh, okay, cool. Now I have to read it five times to get like a little bit of it, you know? Um, so it's, I've come to terms with it in a way, but it's sad and it's, um, yeah, it made me lose an awful lot of confidence in myself, you know, so I'll be having a conversation with somebody. I spend my whole time apologizing. Oh, I probably sound like I'm all over the place. I'm sorry. You know, um, you know, or I'm on the phone booking a flight and I'm like, oh, you know, I'm sorry. You know, my brain doesn't work like it used, you know, so I'm always making excuses for myself. So I've, I've lost confidence that way. But Sarah, um, I, I'm sorry to interrupt again, Sarah, but I have to ask, you wouldn't have been on this podcast a year or two ago, correct? I mean, you know, we talked offline a little bit and you're like, hey, look, I'm, I'm somebody helping people in the shadows, but here you are on a public podcast. It's going to be heard by thousands and thousands of people in the first week of launches. So I yeah. have to argue that there is some improvement you've made in your cognitive abilities and oh, yeah. your confidence because here you are today, right? I know. Well, I would say that some of that has happened in the last couple of years, maybe, um, you know, with my most recent treatments, maybe. But um, yeah, I still, well, I, I kind of in this situation, um, I just sort of was like, it was something that was an opportunity was offered to me. And I'm like, you know what? You're just going to do it. Like, so what if you sound like an idiot? Um, maybe Sarah, you're, you, you, see, you're not though. Right. So that's the thing no, I think. Yeah. And I, I think this is a really important topic to what Cassidy was asking there. You are not act sounding like an idiot at all. You are very well-spoken. You are very well-educated and you're doing a great job already. And we just started awesome. the podcast, but I think so much of this is we have trauma from when we were so sick And that trauma forces us to believe that we're still in that cognitive place where we are not able to communicate, but that's not Mm -hmm. the case anymore, right? But you were brave enough to come on here. So I guess the question that I want to kind of follow up with on Cassidy's question is, how have you been able to work on your your mind and the way you think about yourself to get the courage to come on this podcast? Because you have made improvements, obviously. Mm -hmm. How are you overcoming that trauma to, to take steps forward to continue to heal, advance your mind and take, you know, these scary steps forward to do things like this podcast? I don't know. I honestly, I should be doing a lot more because I keep telling myself, Oh, you need to get a therapist. You need to do this. You need to, you know, um, one of the things I've done in the last year, which, 
was, I didn't think I would do something like this, but I, I got on Instagram and I started doing fashion stuff on Instagram because I can't go to work. So, and that has given me some confidence for sure. Um, you know, I'm basically in a, in a, an age group of ladies, you know, who are all like in their late forties, fifties, and everybody's like, you're amazing. You're awesome. Thanks for sharing your outfit, you know? And it's just like, everybody boosts each other up. So I'm like, well, if I can do that and if I can kind of, you know, be quite vulnerable and I've talked about a little bit about my Lyme journey on there and some of the stuff with my daughter. Um, so I think that's helped me a little bit with my confidence um, I also had to, back in 2016, I gave up drinking cause I was like, essentially became an alcoholic and, um, you know, some of the stuff I've been through with that has helped me sort of like, well, I could be dead. So why not, <laughs> you know, or, um, you know, I've had my ups and downs with suicidal ideation over the years too. So sometimes I'm like, well, you know, if I'm feeling really anxious about something or really nervous, again, I do the, well, you know, is it going to kill me? You know, no. Like my my immediate reaction is to sort of like, no, I don't, I don't have the confidence to do that. And then I think some of my experiences in the last few years with Instagram and, um, you know, going to things like AA and meeting other fabulous women and uh, stuff like that has helped me a little bit. Um. And then I've got, I've got a really good doctor now as well, who also is like, you're not crazy. You know, yes, you're making sense to me right now. Cause I'm like, does that make sense? You know? So, um, we're going to yeah. get to your, your doctor today, Sarah. And I know we're bouncing around sure. chronologically, but I, I think it was important Sorry. to focus on the, no, no, this is, we asked you to do this, the improvements you made and how you got to where you are today. Right. And that was, you, okay. you answered that very well, but to kind of bounce back now, right. So 30 to 40, you're undiagnosed, you're dealing with all this, this illness, and you finally get diagnosed with Hashimoto's. Thank God your neurologist mm-hmm. thought a functional doctor, because you had too many symptoms that were full body symptoms that were, you know, from neurological to, to, you know, psychological to, yeah. you know, all kinds of different things that were going on in your body, hormones, you know, et cetera. So when you got diagnosed, diagnosed with Hashimoto's immediately, your functional medicine doctor said, Hey, I want to run a Lyme test also, because there's more here. Yeah. Or was that after some period of time? That was immediately the day I went in for my results. She's like, yeah, yeah. And I was like, yay, this is it. And she's like, well, I don't think this is just the whole story. So, um, yeah, so that's why she did it. And and when she diagnosed me, I literally probably read one Google page about Lyme disease. And I was like, oh, okay. Put me on antibiotics. I started feeling better. And I never did any research into it because... Sometimes I like to bury my head in the sand a little bit. Um, so I just was like, okay, great. And I was feeling better with the, with the antibiotics. So I was like, all right, so this is the answer to my story. I feel better. Things are, you know, looking up. So it's okay. So I didn't know anything about co-infections or any of the other fun stuff that comes along with Lyme. Like I just thought, oh, Hashimoto's, Lyme, two separate entities. I didn't even realize at the time. And TMJ over there and, you know craziness over here how long was it before you started to feel better you said you felt a little bit better on the, on the felt, antibiotics yeah definitely started feeling better and then I feel like I was on them for about a year and a half and she had me on other supplements like I had adrenal issues and um so I had she also told me I had the MTHFR thing um so 
Um, and you were pulsing, correct? Different antibiotics. Yeah, so this was different yeah. antibiotics on and off for the course of a year and a half, right? I believe so. Okay. Um, and then she decided to take me off the antibiotics and, and change me over to herbals. So it was like Cemento and Banderol she got me started on. And I could never get beyond one drop of either one of them. I would herx like crazy. And I hadn't really, that, not that I could remember herxed before. I probably was sick on and off, but just didn't really think too much of it because it wasn't as bad as it had been before when I was, when I was doing the antibiotics. But I could not cope with the herbals. And I was in her office like every other week looking for a glutathione drip because I'm like, oh, I'm dying. And I felt rotten. Um, so then I, um, this is a, weirdly enough, my husband's auntie is from Vancouver and she knew of a lady and it's one of these knew of somebody who knew somebody, but actually it was more for, straight from the horse's mouth. She got me on the phone with a woman in Vancouver who had been cured of Lyme and had been like her organs had been failing before that. So they hooked me, she hooked me up. I went to Vancouver and I met with a homeopathic doctor who um, at the time had a different type of device. It was a frequency device, but that has, you might've heard of this along the way since that has trans transferred to a thing called their website is freemedica.com and it's a wearable device Back in those days, he was back in the back end in this kind of dumpy office in the back end of a of a whole food store, like a natural store. And he had like little energy things like he would tap on your fingers. And I'm like, if this woman hadn't told me like it worked for me, I'm, I would be like, what am I doing here? And I brought my son with me at the time. Um, gosh, when was this? 2015. So he would have been he's 12 now. But my son had been diagnosed with autism at the age of 18 months. Sorry. Yeah. So I thought he's got it. He's got to have it, you know, and um, we, they tested him energetically and said, yeah, he has it. Um, so um, anyway, this, at the time it was a little light box. So he gave you, he rented it to me and I took it home for three weeks and I took drops and other supplements and I did this thing for three weeks and I felt great for like a year and a half. Sorry, I'm going to stop you there because we're talking about this, the free medical wave one. I have so many questions about that, but I'm going to back yeah. up again because I just love asking more questions about things that you said already because <laughs> you're giving us so much great information that I need to just, just ask a little more, right? So sure. just for, for context, how many, so at this point in 2015 is when you made the pivot from your, your functional medical doctor to this homeopathic doctor. Yeah. How, how many, I guess, how many children do you have? Is it just, you know, can you walk us through and how old were they at this point? Okay, so at 2015, my daughter was eight and my son was, oh my gosh, four. Okay. And now you mentioned that your um, husband was very supportive for your first breakdown. When was your first breakdown? Was it prior to 2015? Yeah, when I was 30. So it was about uh, 2002. Um, and honestly, to this day, I still don't know if it's a completely separate situation or, you know, if that's when the problems were really beginning, because just because where I was in, in Cayman and how did I get it, you know, it just would have been difficult, but, and yeah, it's always, I, made- I believe Sorry. Sarah, that it was very much related. I mean, that's, you know, yeah. this, we hear this I all agree. the time. So I see Cassie yeah. shaking <laughs> yeah. her head. So I what would- you're telling me is I'm not crazy. No, you are Sarah, not crazy. you are 100% not crazy. And I I think that 
I am not a medical professional, but I am a Lyme disease professional. And I believe that you most likely probably got it at some point during your youth. And like me, it manifested in your body for years and something stressful activities or like something can just trigger it, which is why, like Matt was saying, a lot of women that have Lyme and end up get pregnant and have children, they get really sick afterwards because of the stress on your body. So something in 2002 probably stressed your system, caused it to come out. It flared for a little bit and then something settled it down. And then once you had your daughter, everything just spiraled from there but you are not crazy yeah it's so interesting because we had decided to move from the Caymans to um, North Carolina during that time and everybody was like oh look it's the change you're if you're nervous about change you're nervous about moving country and I'm like no because that stuff used to be like oxygen to me I love change I love doing new things so I'm like I'm not nervous I'm excited I want to get out of here I want to do this thing you know And, you know, we were, I was moving there with my boyfriend. Everything was looking positive for the future. It was a pretty serious relationship, which it did end up being, you know, we did end up getting married. So it was all very exciting times, Um, you know? So anyway, it didn't make sense to me, but. So Sarah, Sarah, from, from that standpoint though, obviously it was your boyfriend. He became your husband. You had two children with this man and he was supportive at first. Did things work out? Are you still with your husband? You know, how'd that work out? Yeah, we're still together. Definitely. <laughs> so, and, and, and we've definitely had some rough times over the last 10 years, but um, yeah, it's been, it's been rough um, because of the kids sicknesses too. Um, and mine, and he is a very, um, very, very uh, demanding job. He travels a lot. So he's gone most weeks and uh, he, um you know, his, his career is a big deal to him, which is great in some ways. I mean, he just, he can't take time off to help yet. He's gotten to the position in his company where he's like in, in such a senior position now that we can afford my treatments, you know? So it's sort of like, you know, the same thing for my daughter, he wasn't able to, you know, just take off work when she got sick um, to travel around the country with us to help her, you know, he could took off some time, but he couldn't. But then, um, you know, it meant that his career developed and now we can afford for her treatments too. So it's sort of, it's tough. It's, it's a the balance, right? Yeah. And Sarah, the reason I'm, I'm asking about your husband, I know it's a personal topic, is because so many people in the Lyme community reach out privately to us at Take Boot Camp and say, you know, I'm married and I'm struggling with Lyme and I think it's going to ruin my marriage. Or I'm feeling yeah. well enough and I want to start to get into the dating world again, but I have no confidence and, I, you know, any advice, right? So yeah. you, you have been through a successful marriage despite being so sick and having two children that are so sick, right? So what tips would you give our listeners that have helped you sustain a healthy relationship with your husband? Granted, it's never perfect, right? But you're still together. And I have to tell you, Um, it's really rare for people to stay together through something like you've gone through. I'm not even going to say listeners. I'm going to say for Cassidy as well, because that just made me very happy too, because you don't hear that a lot, as Matt was saying. It is hard. And, um, we've both made big mistakes and he knows he, you know, he hasn't been always been the most supportive because he thought that in the beginning when we didn't know what it was, he thought I was putting it on and I was exaggerating and that it wasn't, you know, or, or that I was, it can't be as bad as you're making it out to be like, just get out of bed. Like, what is the problem? There's nothing wrong. Like you go to the doctors and tell you there's nothing wrong with you. So we definitely have had our arguments and talked about it and, 
Um, what I think was a big eye opener for him was COVID because he was home. He had to work from home. So what would happen is, is before that, because basically after my free Medica episode and I was feeling good for a couple of years, I started going back downhill again. And all I kept saying was like, oh, I'm just getting migraines, like seriously in denial. Like, and this, at this time, my daughter got very sick, which I can tell you about in a few minutes. So I was like really, really busy with that. Um, so my husband would come home at the weekends and I'd be in the bed, like, and he'd be doing the laundry and being like, and I couldn't be around food because I'd start heaving and I couldn't feed the kids. And he's like, what the hell? So he also went through this episode with me where I was drinking way too much. So he had to deal with that. <laughs> so he was looking after the kids because I was drinking too much. And then um, I stopped drinking, but then I'm still sick all the time because he thought a lot of this sickness was possibly related to me being, you know, drinking too much. And a lot of my myoclonic movements and stuff like that, he just thought not necessarily that was the cause, but it definitely wasn't helping. Um, so um, yeah, during COVID he stayed home and he saw the me that was productive on certain days and able to do things and feed the kids. And then he saw the me that was in bed for a few days. So I think he saw more whole picture of instead of just coming home with the weekends and seeing my lazy butt in bed, he sort of was like, Oh, okay. So I see the ups and downs. Like, and we never talked about it, but I really think that that helped um, because then he became a little bit more open to other treatments and, um, or he was just beaten down by that point and was like, just take my money. I don't care. Go get yourself any treatment in the world you want with any witch doctor, because I'm over it. <laughs> so it's one, one of those. But Sarah, even pre-COVID, right? I mean, you know, you just described, yeah. you painted a picture here of your husband is working all the time to support your family and support you. And yeah. he's thinking that A, you're, you know, it's, it's all in your head. He's thinking B, you're an alcoholic. And he's thinking yeah. C, he's your caretaker. Your yeah. relationship would not have sustained that if there weren't some things you did, like communication or, you know, what was there? What what things, what was the glue that held your relationship together through the hardest parts of your journey? You know, I mean, it, was it open and honest communication? Was it him seeing things? Was it him getting a therapist? I feel like there's got to be something there that you did to keep this together because under no normal circumstances would that relationship would have continued to work with all of those things going on with that without some effort on your part. Um, I, I, it's really hard. I don't think, I think that when I got sober, um, I probably became a little bit more, um, a little bit more open-minded in like, let's see it from his point of view. And, um, you know, I was, when I was younger, I always sort of like fought to, you know, fought to win, you know, I'm going to have this argument because I want to win it. Whereas I think I was a little bit better when you go to somewhere like AA and they talk, they teach you like AA should be for everybody. Honestly, it's amazing. It's such an amazing program, but um, they teach you how to be a better person, not just to be a sober person, but like how to be sort of more truthful in your life and how to live a better life. So I did learn, definitely learn some tools that way. Um, you know, and instead of like, lunging at him verbally or whatever I would try try um to be a bit calmer about things so I, th I do think that helped but I think we were actually in such a crisis for so long that there was no option for us to go 
separate separate ways either like we were just holding our shit together for so long with especially when our daughter got sick that was a very serious situation so there was no other option but sarah i'm going to disagree (laughs) with that because we've interviewed guests that their spouse their husband or wife have left when they were yeah. the sickest and their children were sick because yeah. they just couldn't handle it anymore. So something, there was glue there and you just described that glue. So I don't want to discredit what you said before. Yeah. You said, well, he had no choice. No, he had a choice yeah. and we've seen people leave. And I think it's it's the skills you, you learned in AA, seeing it through yeah. his eyes, being able to communicate. Those are the things that were important that I think helped you get through the hardest time. So thank you yeah. for sharing that. I know I was pretty I think, pushy I think with you on this do, topic, but I think it's important. We do definitely st- are not great with our communication. We could definitely work on that. Um, I feel like I, I I did learn a lot with um, you know, and I, I couldn't, I haven't been to AA in years now because of situation with my daughter and COVID and everything. Um, but you know, just some of the basics I learned of uh, just to live your life with honesty and to try, um, you know, just try and look at it from another person's point of view and um the decisions you make when you're drinking is just like, you're very selfish, you know? So, but um, yeah, I, I think I figured out like, you know, there's certain things he can handle and certain things he can't. And it was okay. You know, I, I would be like, how, why can't he do this? Why doesn't he do this? And then I just sort of learned to accept it. Like we have our, each of us have our strengths in a different, and then it's like, well, how would I feel if I had a per- if I had a spouse who was like lying around all the time and sick and like, oh, you know, it's hard. It's hard to live with a sick person. It's really hard. I mean, you know, um, and he he was never it's funny because um, we were, I was just talking about this with his sister. His sister is here visiting us in Orlando and um, her mom and they were all brought up like that where, you know, you didn't get sick and you're not nurses. And his mom would like his mom would come visit and I'd start heaving in the kitchen because I smelt something like I'd walk in and smell something. And she would just like walk right out. <laughs> she would just like, I'm out. She didn't mention it. She didn't acknowledge it. She didn't. And that's what he he's like. They don't people don't get sick. They're from the country in Canada. They're like good stock, you know his mother used to get up in the freaking ceiling and kill her own rats, like with rat poison and then drag the bodies out, you know? So they were not sickly people. So I know it's not easy. You know, I had, I I, I now look back on my drinking and I know that a lot of that was um, self-medicating from the pain uh, from so many different reasons, like the actual pain and then just the madness of having two very sick kids and me being sick and, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, I think I would have always gotten there with my drinking, even if I didn't have Lyme. <laughs> um, there's a strong family history and I was always a big drinker anyway. Um, so it took, yeah. it took a lot of hard work is what you're saying on both, on both sides. And I and thank you for being so yeah. truthful and vulnerable. So we know that's not an easy topic to talk about. So thank you for sharing that. I, I do, I do though, Sarah, I want to ask, you know, before we get to your, your new doctor, your homeopathic doctor, you mentioned after yeah. a year and a half of pulsing antibiotics, you pivoted over to more pure herbs like cemento, cemento and banderol. And that's when you had a crazy herx on a small amount. Yeah. And, I, and I wonder why. I'm curious if any of your doctors ha- or you have put any thought into this. And, you know, some of my guesses are if you were just doing antibiotics, there are tick-borne infections and other opportunistic 
pathogens that aren't addressed by antibiotics alone, right? Like Babesia yeah. is not going to be touched by an antibiotic. And that's that's a bloodborne tick, a bloodborne pathogen from a tick bite. You can have other viruses that aren't going to be addressed by antibiotics. But cemento mm-hmm. and banderol are more broad spectrum herbal anti everything, right? They address yeah. viruses, they address pathogen uh, um, parasites, they address bacteria. So do you think that you had other things going on, you know, co-infections, et cetera, that the cemento and banderol was finally hitting and you were so sensitive yeah. because they were just sort of, you know, flourishing for a year and a half while you were while you were just treating with antibiotics? Um, I think that's probably very true. Um, because I hadn't been tested for other stuff. Like I had things like HHV6 and I had like Epstein-Barr show up as like IgGs and I had like a bunch of stuff that showed up, but I never, we never tested me for Babesia and Bartonella and I never, or other tick-borne stuff. And I never actually tested with any other labs other than my lab core with this, this first doctor. Um, she just, you know, because I showed up as positive on a, you know, CDC positive, so to speak, that was it. You're positive. Okay. That's great. Let's treat it. There was no other testing done. And I didn't even know any better, um, for a good few years. Um, so I, it was only like probably three or four years ago that I realized I had other stuff going on. And, and during those years as well, various systems started breaking down where I was beginning to get like, Ooh, throat tightening and flushing and what's this. And, um, you know, other things that were come along with this fun, on this fun Lyme journey, like mast cell, you know, suspected mast cell activation syndrome. Um, You know, one doctor was like, oh yeah, sure you have Lyme seizures, you know, definitely. So uh, actually, so about before this, my current doctor, I'm popping around again, I'm a tie. I did see a doctor a few years ago who went back to the traditional stuff of well, she, she knew I did test positive at that point for Babesia and Bartonella. So we did a lot of um, um, antivirals and um, antibiotics and la di da di da. Like she did a whole bunch of stuff with me. Let me see if I can find it here. Like Malarone, Zithromax, Dapsone, Plaquenil, Methylene Blue, all these fun things. And I wasn't getting better then. And she had me on she was great actually, because we just spoke over zoom and she was very free with her diagnoses. So she just got me on mast cell stuff, like without running tests. And she just gave me Lamictal, which really helped in um, calming down my myoclonic movements, but I was not getting better with her at all. Um, Sarah, before you go on from there, I'm just going to, I'm going to re- yeah. reverse again. Cause that's what I do. I like to, I like to go deeper, you know? So <laughs> oh. So when you when you went to the homeopathic doctor in Vancouver after you yeah. left your, your first uh, functional doctor, let's talk more about the what you did there because that was from 2015 to 2016. So just again to zoom back out, we've been talking about a lot here. From 2013 yeah. to 2015, you were doing antibiotics and a little bit of herbs with this functional doctor. Then you pivoted to your homeopathic doctor in Vancouver, and that's where you were exposed to energy testing and things like the free medica wave device, which was used by. Um, Yolanda Hadid has had great success yeah. with the Wave One device, and that's you know very popular in the Lyme community because of that. So walk us through the Free Medica Wave One device. It's a wearable device. It uses you know frequency. Did it help? You know, and, and also you mentioned like it's kind of it's kind of woo woo, right? It's like energy, yeah. energy. What's that? You know, frequency. What's that? What made you be open to trying something like this? And did it help you? Yeah, well, ju- just because I spoke to a lady who was a trusted friend of the family. Um, who had done it 
And my, my auntie had seen how sick she had been. Like she was nearly dead. She's like, oh, and she did this thing and it was great. Here's the phone, talk to her. So that's why I did it. And that's why I think as well, my husband, my husband sometimes needs to hear things from a third party rather than me. <laughs> and then he'll be more on board. Whereas I come home and I'm like, well, there's this thing where if I stand on my head, right. And if I shake my legs a lot, I'll be cured. And he's like, oh my God, here we go again. So, um, yeah. So when I spoke to her, that's, and it was actually a very simple process because there wasn't like for years, you're going to have to take this. It was only like drops and this thing for three weeks. Um, and it was just this little box I rented from him at the time, but, um, as time moved on, they, they, uh, they started making it a wearable and I did eventually buy the wearable as well. Um, so I have that, I had that, I, I do have it. But when I was really sick for a few years, I kept forgetting to wear it. So I wasn't using it. And then I sort of did the, well, it, you know, if, it, if I got sick again, maybe it doesn't work. So I, I kind of tend to be a bit like, I'll try this. And if this doesn't work, then I'll try this rather than it's okay to try a few different things at the same time. Um, you know, and maybe each one of them will have their own benefit, you know? Right. And that's truly what it is. I think I believe collectively it's all the things that you've done that are going to help you get to where you are today. Right. Yeah. So it sounds like though, the, the way one device was helpful, you felt a little bit better, but then you started to feel bad again. You said, Oh, yeah. it must've not done its job. Let me move on to the next thing. Is that correct? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Which was and kind then, of silly. No, but I mean, look, you know, then you went on to the next thing. And again, it was a part of your healing journey and it was a helpful part of yeah. your healing journey. So then obviously you went to this other doctor who found other co-infections and just clinically diagnosed you with co-infections and, and mast cell activation syndrome and gave you all kinds of things like methylene blue and dapsone, which are very common treatments in the Lyme community as well. Double dapsone, yeah. Dr. Horowitz, you know, really coined that many years ago. Methylene blue is very commonly used by a lot of doctors as well. And you said that none of these things really helped you though, right? Which, so, so you did all these I things and you're sort of like, yeah. And I'm, I'm, I never know if I'm herxing or if I'm flaring, like, I don't know who can figure that stuff out because I don't, I'm like, what is happening? Should I be in an Epsom salt bath or should I, what should I be doing? I never know. Like, I'm like, what is this? But, um, so yeah, I, I, I did go to that particular doctor and she was a mate, like she was lovely, but I just, there wasn't working. And then I heard of somebody who had tried SOT Wait, before we go there, Sarah, Cassidy, do you have a question? I saw you put your hand up. I just want to make oh, sure Cassidy can jump in. <laughs> I did. Sorry. Going back. So just so I have it straight, you have Babesia and Bartonella were the only two co-infections that you have tested positive for, along with like yeah. Epstein-Barr and things. Did they ever, were you ever on Mepron for the Babesia, the yellow paint? I'm looking at my notes here. The yellow paint is what I like to call it. The liquid and it stains all of your clothing. And yes. Uh, no, I don't think so. That's I don't so see that on my list of things. It's possible. It's I was possible. On it yes. Point, that but... is what I hear from most people for Babesia is the Mepron one. So I didn't hear it. Okay. So I was just wondering, hmm. but I, and going back to your Herxing thing, I think that is something that a lot of people don't understand is Herx reactions. And it is just like over time, you kind of figure it out, but it is so hard, especially when you have all of the different illnesses coming at you. So you're yeah. like, oh, is this Lyme? Is this the Babesia? Is this the Bartonella? Could this be the Epstein-Barr? Is this the Massel? Oh, wait, is this a Herx? Is this the oh. Flare? And it's so hard to different. And like being a woman yeah. also, all the hormonal issues that come into play as well and having to figure out what is actually causing which symptom is really yeah. hard. So don't beat yourself up about 
not being and able to determine yeah. the difference. And I say to them, it's like my husband thinks I'm onto the new thing, you know, every few months. I'm like, so maybe mast cell is my problem. Maybe this is what's causing all of my symptoms. My first ever, well, not my first ever, my like first ever Lyme doctor that got me better the first time, she had the best thing and she said, it's an onion. Lyme disease is an onion and you have yeah. to keep back layer by layer. So you do go that way. You're like, okay, we got a handle on the Lyme. Now the Babesia symptoms are going to flare. We're going to have to work yeah. on the Babesia. Then the Lyme may come back and you have to keep peeling different layers and layers, yeah. and, layers and slow that. But that's kind of how you have to do it because they do the bacteria. They're they're tricky little ones yeah. and they will just pop up Lovely when bastards you're <laughs> Yes. It's my language, but I'm just, I'm like, fuckers. Sorry. <laughs> But Sarah, even with the Hashimoto's, right? The Hashimoto's is an autoimmune disease and MCAS is this inflammatory response to mast cells. And I believe that they're very, you know, these autoimmune complications due to tick-borne illness are very much connected to mast cell activation syndrome. And I can tell you in my own personal experience and those of many of our guests, as we treat the whole body and as we do things to repair our gut health, our immune system, and also obviously kill the Lyme, the Babesia, the co-infections and address the viruses, my autoimmune levels have dropped significantly and my mm-hmm. and my sensitivities, my MCAS symptoms have dropped significantly as well. And that's very common with many people we interview. Yeah. So they're all related, right? As, as Cassidy said, it's that, it's that onion, but it's not like mast cell is causing everything or yeah. even Lyme. We say Lyme disease, but Lyme is not causing everything either. Lyme is a piece of the puzzle and we have mm-hmm. to address the whole puzzle. And because we're all bio-individual, we have to figure out to the best of our abilities, what's going on and address those things. And then when yeah. we give our body a fighting chance, we can restore health. That's really at a high level, I think what it's all about. And I've been there where I obsess, it's just Lyme disease or, oh, I have Babesia now. It must be a B- yeah. Babesia why I'm still sick after all these years, but it's never just that one thing like MCAS or Babesia, right? I mean, that's the realization I think that many of us come to throughout our, our health journeys. Yeah, and it's hard because you want it to be just, you know, I just want it to be this thing that I can fix. Can I just fix this, please? I just want it to be over. But you can fix it, right? I mean, you just have to, it's trial and error and you've done a lot, Sarah. And we're going to talk about SOT next. But collectively, you've done a lot and you're putting the pieces together and it's a long journey, but we've seen and interviewed so many people. I mean, look at Cassidy. She's working full time. She's, you know, she just moved into her new apartment. And when we interviewed Cassidy, she was having paralysis and she was really sick, right? So it's, it's possible. I mean, Cassidy is a perfect yeah. example of somebody and, and you as well, Sarah, obviously, right? We're not there yet in your journey, but you've made so much progress as well that we're going to get yeah. to shortly. So Cassidy, did you have something? Am I, am I, uh... I was, no, you're good. I was just going to say, along with what Matt was saying with how, when you have Lyme and your entire immune system is just shot. And so we have all these allergies that come up. You have things that normal, like normal, healthy people have like the heavy metals, the MTHFR, and that doesn't affect them. And that is detrimental to our health because of how sickly we are. But as you continue to heal and such, and like, for me, for an example, like the last time I took antibiotics, cause I, for when I was diagnosed with Crohn's and they were trying to like, I was having a bad flare and I hated doing antibiotics. I was like, I'm going to hurt. It was Christmas 2019. And I did like, I like felt like I was going to die. Mm -hmm. And since then I am, like I said earlier offline, I'm like 98% better. I am, I have been working hard for the past two and a half years. Like I am here. And last week I had a really bad sinus infection and I took antibiotics and I like a couple of years ago, I would have had like a full on panic attack and like freaked out. And I took the antibiotics and I'm totally fine because my body is now at the point where it can handle these things. And similarly, like food sensitivities, I now have dairy, I now have sugar, like I'm fine with these things. 
I used to be so allergic to metals and like earrings that if it wasn't 14 karat gold, even the backing, yeah. I would have a reaction. These are $20 sterling silver earrings yeah. from like Kohl's and Yay. I can wear all these like, <laughs> it, like your body slowly yeah. gets better. And all these things that had been causing so many more issues will slowly start to go down because like you've been saying, Sarah, you're calming the system down. Yeah. So you're making these small movements, but all the small improvements, they become the yeah. big improvements over time. Yeah. I hear you. You're right. <laughs> so let's talk about SOT. So when you okay. left this doctor who was, you know, treating you with the methylene blue and the Dapsone and all that, you yeah. know, the MCAT, MCAT stuff, you then, all right, how did you, how did you hear about SOT and how did you find the doctor who would even, you know, work with SOT? Cause it's so hard to find an SOT practitioner here yeah. in, in the States. Well, I'm like 30 minutes away from one. Like I'm the Genesis center. I'm not, am I allowed yep. to say that? Yes. Okay. You can say that. Yeah. Um, so I'm very lucky. Um, so I'd heard, you know, I'm on Facebook and I'm on this line page and that line page and, um, I'd heard of SOT, but I, I, during, during this time, um, so I kind of went on the Lyme's not a real thing. This is all bullshit. I'm sick of this. Thing. So wait, you stopped, you, you believed you didn't have Lyme disease and it wasn't real. Well, um, I mean, we, a lot of us I, have been there. Some, this, yeah. this is the non-judgmental. I kind of uh, thought like, oh, if I had a healthy immune system, maybe it could fight. Maybe it's just like I've got, I'm on, you know, I just, well, <laughs> I don't know. I kind of went through this like, oh, so I go to a functional doctor and they tell me it's Lyme. I tell them I have a sore big toe and they're like, that's Lyme disease. And I'm like, then I go to the mainstream medicine and they tell me it's freaking anxiety. So like, I'm sick, I'm tired of both of these different like you know you've got one extreme to another and I'm just over it and um then my daughter got extremely sick um with autoimmune encephalitis and and everybody's saying oh that's Lyme and then I had a girlfriend who traveled to New York with her kid with AE who was seeing um a very prominent um Lyme neurologist up there what's her name again can't remember because we saw her too and he was doing plasmapheresis um every month for like eight months and he wasn't getting better so her and i got our little heads together and we're like this lime shit is bullshit like forget it like it doesn't mean you know they're not getting better we're not getting better. uh forget it so i just kind of went on it like a little not so much an anti-lime thing but just like i don't want to talk about it i don't want to hear about it i'm just having migraines this is what i kind of went into denial for a couple of years um and even with my daughter, I didn't really look into Lyme as much. I mean, I did, and she came back positive on a couple of things, but she was um, in a serious crisis. Like we thought she was gonna die. Um, so we were trying to do immediate mainstream stuff with her to just try and keep her alive for a while. So yeah, and during that time I was in crisis mode. So I didn't even wanna think about Lyme. And I actually somehow survived and kept going it was when she got a little bit better that I started falling apart again. I think my body was like, oh, well, now it's you, time for you. But you also made progress, right? You did a lot that helped yeah. you heal, but you were, you know, you were getting there. Your body was getting better. You were slowly yeah. and gradually recovering from chronic illness. You were rebuilding this body that was damaged for so many years and you had enough strength to get through that crisis. Thank God with your daughter, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, uh, yeah, I think somehow I managed to go through it and be there and be, you know, cause I was up most nights and we were in and out of hospitals and traveling all over the country with her. So, um, 
I just, I don't know how I did it. And then I think that's when my body just after when it's sort of, we kind of calmed down a bit, then it was like, ha ha, your turn. I think that happens. Sorry, Cassidy. I was going to say, I think that happens a lot with the Lyme and the illnesses and things like that with your body is in the flight, like fight or flight, and you're just running and running and running on like adrenaline and such. And then when it does have time to calm down, that's when you actually can sit and be like, oh, something is not right here. Yeah. And it just all kind of comes tumbling down at once. But like Matt said, you were able to get through that because of the work you had done prior, which is super amazing. Yeah. And it's weird sticking my fingers in my ears and going la 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 just, just didn't work. It was, yep. kind of I, I thought that would work, but it didn't. <laughs> um, Yeah. So, so, so yeah. you, you found the Genesis Center on these Facebook groups? Mm-hmm. Is that what you were saying? And then you- and Well, then actually, you... um, I'd heard of SOT, but it had kind of floated by me on p- Facebook pages and stuff like that. And it was, um, I just get overwhelmed. I'm like, I don't want to read about SOT because I'm like reading about, my son has pandas. He has autism. Kira's got AE, um, probably Lyme. He's got, I'm just like, I can't read anymore. Um, so I'd seen SOT and I'd seen like, oh, this is great, but I hadn't gotten into it or read much about it. But my next door neighbor, her kids play baseball with other kids whose dad had been telling her about his journey. And um, I got on the phone with him one night. Actually, I got my husband on the phone with him one night <laughs> because, again, when he hears it from somebody else, it tends to be better. Um, so he told us his story um just you know he 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 had been in the early days well I don't know exactly where he was but he was more like fatigue and pains and aches like he hadn't gone to like bedridden couldn't walk you know some of the other stuff um but he had a great experience with it so my husband got off the phone was like just do it just do it like um so I was like okay so that's when I started going to the Genesis Center um so they they do interest they do vibrant testing. So what's interesting about that is they measure your levels. So it's not just like you're positive for Babesia or you're positive for whatever type of Babesia or Bartonella or Borrelia. It's um it gives you like your numbers, your IgG numbers and your IgM numbers. So they can see as time goes on how your numbers are changing. Um, so I did Borrelia back in. Eh, on my dates I want to say like springtime of 2021 I did about um an SOT for um Borrelia what does that mean Sarah just for our listeners who aren't familiar with SOT when you say you did a Lyme SOT what does that mean so this is going to be you're going to ask me technical stuff damn it so this is how I describe SOT which is and I've heard Kelsey on before and she and I'm like Oh, come on. Like, how did she just know that? <laughs> well, it's funny you bring up Kelsey because Kelsey actually is friends with Cassidy, who was part of Cassidy's oh, really? live yeah, support group. And that's how we met, met him. I feel like I found you guys through maybe through Kelsey finding her on Instagram, or maybe I'd seen a YouTube video of her in SOT or I somehow found all of you. I don't know how I found you guys, but small world. Yeah. But Kelsey's part of my Lyme encyclopedia group and I'll she you're very right with she just the way she can like describe things and like my brain doesn't work like that mine either anymore but like yeah so I remember you guys were like you'd asked her you know what was her experience with SOT and she's like well SOT is this and I'm like this is how I describe SOT it's that um you basically get a positive test 
um, for Lyme or some co-infection or some tick-borne illness. And they take your blood. So it has to be, you have to have a positive test within the past six months. They take your blood, they send it to Greece and they create an antidote. <laughs> that is my very technical, uh, but it's, it's obviously it's more than that, but it's no, like but that, that's mRNA really answer, technology, right? but I'm just like, it's easiest for me to say they create an antidote and that's about, but it, it actually changes. It seems to change the DNA of the bacteria in your body. So, um, for some reason that seems to be more effective because like antibiotics and stuff like that, they seem to be able to understand or hide from it or, you know, dig into your cells, but because they're changing the DNA of the actual bacteria, um, it changes their makeup and they just die. die it's, tar it's targeted. So although antibiotics are more broad spectrum for a wide variety of bacteria, the SOT is very specific to a strain of Borrelia, which is Lyme disease, correct? But it's more, yeah, precise in targeting and eliminating that Borrelia in your body. And right? it's for you specifically, because it's based on your blood and they do it for all different co-infections, all different types of Borrelias and all different types of Babesias and Bartonellas. So um, yeah, it's, it's catered just to your situation and that bacteria that you have. So what, what was that like? Sarah, I, I'm just trying to imagine, like, so you send your blood away to Greece, they develop the, the antidote to cure your strain yeah. of strain of strains of Borrelia burgdorferi. And now you get this injected back into you. Like, did you feel anything immediately while getting this injection? You know, when, if ever, did you feel any response to this? Um, I, I felt, uh, it took about three weeks and I started feeling a little bit better, but then something fun happened and it was my Babesia went nuts. Um, so the onion, right? Ca yep, the, I was going to say it's the, the onion popping yeah, back. <laughs> well, they thought it was Bartonella first, and um, but it's I, Babesia. It seems to be now um, a year on is the problem, and um, I'm still having issues. And but you know, sometimes when you get sick and you're in it, and you're like, "This sucks," and I'm always sick, and you forget that you've had some good days or I'm the opposite as well. I will have a good day and I feel like I've never been sick before. This is fabulous. You know, I get complete like Lyme amnesia. I'm like, I, I, I'm fine. Like, I don't know what the fuss is. Um, so, but my husband is like, no, 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 no. Overall, you're doing a lot better. I can see a big difference. Um, so I, I'm going off of that because I'm not very good at uh, journaling or keeping track. Um, at one point I downloaded a migraine app onto my phone and I did track because I have a lot of things in there that are limey, you know, like nausea, headaches, um, and you can add stuff into this particular migraine app. So I tracked it for a couple of years and which is, I should be doing, but I was able to see, like I was spending 14 ish days of the month in bed and, um, you know, so I could see it getting worse and worse and worse. And I was like, damn it you know, this is not just migraines. So uh, not that migraines are just migraines, but you know, at this stage in my life, I believe that, you know, you don't just get migraines, that there's gotta be something else, you know, causing these things. But um, yeah, so it was, yeah, I was just like, just give me this stuff. I'll take whatever you, you're dishing out if it's gonna make things work or better. So you, you so, got the Borrelia SOT, you were good yeah. for a little bit and then then the Bartonella kicked in. So then you got a Bartonella SOT shortly after, is that what happened? Uh, well, I didn't do the Bartonella. Well, 
we didn't do the Bartonelle SOT. We started doing oral stuff again um, for, so she's done a couple more rounds of oral stuff with Babesia for me. Cause I keep saying, you know, I keep like, I don't want to have to fork out another four grand for a, for a SOT. And in the meantime, my daughter has had one too. So um, I'm trying to, I'm pretty sure my son is going to need one at least. So we're trying to like divvy out the SOTs, like who's going to get one. And so um, mo- I just spoke to my doctor last week and my Babesia numbers are looking somewhat better, but um, we're doing another round of stuff. And basically there's a good chance in a couple of months, I'll be doing a Babesia SOT because it's just not seeming to want to shift. Um, and of course I spoke to my doctor last week and I had in that week, I'd had the best three weeks I can ever remember, like crazy stuff. I was, we're in, we bought this house in Orlando and we're doing it up for short-term rentals. I painted for eight hours one day. That's amazing. That's amazing. Like, I was like <laughs> breaking incredible. down cardboard boxes. And I mean, I literally can't go, I typically can't go for a walk around the block. Like I'm scared to, cause I get sicker when I work out. Yep. Or do even the, the smallest, you know, the whole spoon theory thing. Like I'll Very be much. like, I, I'm afraid to take the garbage out in case that puts me into a flare. But then, of course, Monday, I, I've been sick all this week, weirdly enough. But um, uh, I have been, I started taking Dr. Rawl supplements about a month ago, and I've been slowly increasing them. I've also started doing my free Medica again. Um, so I'm trying to figure out if I pushed it too far on one or the other. Could be um, hurting, right? I mean, this yeah, could be yeah. a fluff, so it's it's possible. Yeah. Yesterday was rough, but I, I I tried to do the slow introduction with Dr. Rawl stuff, but um, you know, uh, I I feel pretty confident in the SOT, but I also thought, you know, I'd listen to Dr. Rawls on your podcast, and um, I'm like, well, it's it's about you know modulating the immune system as herbs, so it's not like it's going to hurt me. It's not saying I don't believe in my SOT. It's just going to help me to have a stronger immune system. Well, um, kind of what Matt was saying earlier with like you, you kind of have to do a whole bunch of things and you yeah. end, like, there's not, I'm a, I've been in this journey now for 10 years. And I think that I would not be where I am if I didn't do everything that I did, like yeah. everything helped in some sort of fashion and kind of still doing things. And I still do like my, I'm a big food person. So like my food is my medicine. Now I'm with the herbs and things, but I'm really I, bad with my food. <laughs> we I can chat out offline about like that. that. I know what I should do. I just, I'm just like a 12 year old kid. <laughs> it takes, stuff, it takes a while to get there, yeah. but I want to backtrack for a second if we can and talk about, so you mentioned how the SOTs are each about $4,000. And yeah. I want to know, I have two, two questions along this lining with one, if you had to ballpark it, how much have you spent oh on your health on this journey? And then two, what does that, like the cost of this, because obviously like not covered by insurance, pretty yeah. much anything, all the supplements you have to pay out of pocket and such like that, the SOT, what does that do with having to pay for you and your children? Like, how does that impact your family, like your finance, your family finances, your relationships and things like that? And like, I know at least for me, I always felt so guilty because yeah. I couldn't be participating, like helping pay for these treatments yeah. because I was so sick. So it's, if- it's really, it's really hard. The guilt and the shame that come along with this illness are almost crippling. Um, 
And I feel like I'm always trying to prove myself. Like since we were here and I was actually able to help my husband with things, I'm like, did you notice? Did you see? See the way I was able to do that? And he's like, yeah. And I, I'm trying to like, see, I'm not a lazy person, I promise. So um, over the years, we have definitely gone into lots of credit card debt um, for various treatments. Um, you know, at first, when I thought the only problem we had was autism, I was taking my son to lots of biomedical doctors. So that was something that was out of pocket. And my husband was like, oh, for God's sake. And he grew up in Canada where everything's free. And they, most Canadians yeah. love the health system up there. Like there's very few that you'll find. I've seen both and I'm not crazy about the Canadian health system, but you know, you get spoiled in some ways down here. Obviously it costs a you know, fortune, but you don't have to wait six months to get into something. But um, so he's used to like really great free education and really great free he- healthcare. So there, there's me with this two-year-old autistic kid saying we need to pay, you know, every week for speech therapy, or we need to do this, or we need to go to the biomedical doctor. And so that started that. And uh, so since then, you know, all of a sudden I'm coming back with all these newfangled things for one of the kids or me. So if I, I I don't know for sure. Um, I would guess for me, 30 to $40,000 um at one point we were paying we we did uh this medication with my daughter called rituxan and we had to pay 35 grand put it on our credit card for her we were very lucky we got it back with our health insurance company and we were doing ivig monthly for her for three years and that's 25 grand each time but we were covered we paid we were paying 10 grand 15 grand deductibles every year um so, but I know a lot of people in in the AE autoimmune encephalitis community who don't get it covered and are paying out of pocket, like remortgaging their homes. And again, you don't know if the treatment's going to work. Um, so we've been kind of lucky with that side of things, the mainstream side for her. Um, but yeah, so, you know, again, I, I kind of, I feel like I'm one of the lucky ones in a lot of ways. Like I, I feel like I didn't go for too, too long without a diagnosis. Although I know we just talked about it was 10 years. I know. Come on, Sarah. (laughs) That wasn't too long. Only only a decade. Of 30 years. Right. And um, I feel like I've been very sick, bedridden and stuff like that, but I haven't like been paralyzed. I haven't been in a wheelchair. I haven't, you know, stuff like that. So, and I haven't had to remortgage my home or lose my home. Um, And I've been lucky that my husband has a job that we've been able to afford some of these things. But, you know, we did put ourselves into a lot of credit card debt over the years. Um, So we're constantly paying off, you know, it's just a lot. Yeah, it's a lot of medical bills. That is just it's irritating and annoying. One hundred percent agree. (laughs) It's insane and it's just sickening and maddening how much we have to pay just to live. Yeah like for you as well, like you're just sort of starting out. And, um, you know, I, I think it's weird in America, you know, everybody starts out with this huge student debt, you know, as well. And then you've got medical debt and student debt. And uh, oh, yeah, know, I feel like 22 year olds should be able to just like launch into their lives and start getting their paycheck and being like, yay, now I can rent a house or now I can 
buy this and get a car and do fun things instead of paying bills. Yep. It took me a while to get like to feel confident enough to be able to move and live on my own because I was spending a thousand dollars a month on my medical bills alone. I'm like, that's, that's rent. I'm, I spend rent like on my medical bills. And like, while people my age are out having to like, they like spending money on like drinks or clothes or whatever, like vacations. I'm like, I have to make sure I have enough money to go to the doctor and to buy my medicines that I'm going to need to survive. So I I can't imagine when there's three of you at the same time, it's just, and I want to talk about that. You've mentioned both of your children having illnesses. So I wanted to see if you can tell me a little bit about like when, cause your daughter's older. So I would assume hers kind of started first. Well, I was a little bit um, kind of, I didn't really notice hers because I, when Finn, my son Finn got diagnosed with autism, I was all like, I'm going to, I'm going to cure this. And um, we were taking him to this doctor and that doctor and the other doctor and trying supplements and whatever. And she was sort of like uh, going downhill along the way. Um, But she presented like a normal kid, um, no developmental issues the teachers at school said she was doing great she was very smart everything was good and I, I would notice some stuff at home so I'd say to her teachers you know she she good and they're like no she's great she's focused she's gets on with everybody um so when you said you noticed things at home what did you notice um that she did seem to like obsess about certain things or she got, she lacked some social skills. Gotcha. Like she would get very upset with friends in a situation that I thought was a bit weird or she was like slamming doors and, you know, at the age of five storming away. And I was like, Oh, that's kind of weird. But she didn't see, we were like, maybe it's ADHD, but we just thought there's something different. We're not sure what. Um, And she had her first seizure when she was four and a half. Okay. had a very very long seizure mm. um and I feel like that was the beginning of some of her stuff but uh, if if I go back and look at it all it's possible that she got Lyme in utero mm-hmm. and that's been the source of all of the problems so she basically about five years ago all of a sudden was talking about wanting to kill herself psychosis hallucinations um we I basically had to sleep in a room for two or three years we had to how old was she at this time uh, about 11 okay we had to lock up all um 10 11 we had to lock up all of our medications and knives and forks everything in the garage because she tried to kill me she tried to kill herself um she would attack me I used to have just bruises up and down my arms because she try and bite me all the time. So we were taking her to, there's like a doctor in DC, Dr. Latimer, who's like the pandas doctor. We thought it was pandas, which is under the same umbrella as AE. Um, but um, the treatments we did there didn't work. Um, we took her to New York to see Dr. Frid. That's who it is. I was trying to remember earlier. She's like a Lyme neurologist there. Um you know, and she wanted us to come up every month to do plasmapheresis with her hematologist. But we, you know, we drive Kira to DC in a car and she would scream and scream and say that the ground was going to up, open up and swallow us up. And um, she tried to throw furniture out of hotel room windows and she tried to jump out of windows and tried to get to the top of the building to jump off the building. And so it was, it was impossible to get her places and she won't still to this day won't fly. So she was really sick 
And my son at the, you know, in and around the same time had the same sort of symptoms, but not on the same scale. And he was like officially diagnosed with pandas. So that's, you know, from strep. So it's a neuropsychiatric illness, you know, obsessive compulsive disorder, some psychosis, um, stuff like that. So, but all of these can also go way back to Lyme. Yep. So yeah, she likes to, she likes to, when she's mad at me, she likes to say that it's all my fault because I gave her Lyme. (laughs) So have they both been tested? (laughs) Um, yes. So she, uh, a good few years ago, we did DNA connections like okay. way, way back. My son tested negative on everything. And I was like, huh. But again, he was sort of left in the wind while we dealt with her crisis then. And uh, he was okay. You know, he was like going about life. Like he, he did a lot of school avoidance, some of the pans, pandas stuff, but he was okay. Um, so she tested positive for a couple of things on DNA connections and we tried antibiotics and just made her worse. And then we sort of gave everything, all of that Lyme stuff up and just went with IVIG, which also can be a treatment for Lyme anyway. So she was getting better on that, which is possible that because it's Lyme, you know. Um, so she's still very sick, but she's kind of in, you know, middle of the road mode. She hasn't been to school in four years. Um, still a lot of OCD and psychosis, not psychosis, but more like paranoia and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So we're still working on that with her. So I, I have to juggle the mainstream medicine thing and the functional. So she just started seeing my doctor. She did one SOT, but I can't talk to her neurologist about it. You can't mention Lyme. Interesting. She just rolled her eyes at it. Yep. No, no way. Um, so I have my functional doctor on one side who's telling me, please don't put her on immune suppressants because that's what her neurologist wants to do um, because the SOT needs her immune system to work. But then I need to keep, if I show up at the hospital tomorrow with my daughter in a psychosis, I need to have a, somebody there at the hospital who knows her situation and doesn't just lock her up because she's already been locked up for a week in a psych place. Um, and they don't want to hear about this is medical. It's not certainly don't want to hear about Lyme. Um, So I need to have that contact in the hospital who believes in autoimmune encephalitis. Um, So I have to kind of make sure if this is what the fun thing is with all of these illnesses is trying to go into a doctor, trying to play the game um, where you're like, Oh, right. Okay. That's interesting. Yes. You're giving me new information and yes, you are the leader in this situation, but at the same time, you're trying to inject things into the conversation. uh, So you don't look crazy because when you have kids, you have to be really scared of them taking your kids away with these things, right? Like they'll say, Oh, you're not giving them the antidepressants or the antipsychotics. You know, we must take your child away because that's what we're telling you you should do. Um, and we did, we tried all that stuff for her as well. We were open to it and it didn't work, but it's, it's so so, I admire you so much because I can't even fathom what that is like, because like you said, like they could, they would take your child away, but you, and like knowing deep, cause like my mom was my caretaker. She didn't yeah. have Lyme, but she was my t- caretaker. And I know she would kind of go through these phases too. And she, like, like you were saying, when you just like 
don't even want to think it's Lyme because yeah. of these things, because there is no direct answer. There is no one saying, take this and it's like magical medicine yeah. and you'll feel better. But something for like autoimmune encephalitis, at least they believe in it. Yeah. At least the mainstream world believes in it. It will be covered by insurance. You can have these things, but like you said, you have to kind of pick and choose. It kind of feels like we're like in Harry Potter, like you can't say Voldemort. Yeah. That's how I am with Lyme. Like yeah. I'm very, very, very careful with when I will say it. And like, I'm a, t- I'm terrified to go to the hospital where you, yeah. I'm not as much anymore because I'm not active, but like, I, I have to have friends that will call me that with Lyme that are like, I feel like I'm dying. I yeah. want to go to the hospital. And I'm like, don't, because they are going to not help you. They're going to put you in a psych ward. Like you said, because I had that happen to me. They put me in there. Cause then I'm like, no, this is like, this is not, I'm, I'm not crazy. Yeah. This is actually something physically going on with me because I have Lyme disease, but they hear Lyme disease and they're like checked out. Yeah. It's terrible. Um, yeah, I mean, you just, it's hard, you know, and then you talk to, you know, you talk to your friends and family and they hear the same controversy. So they think you're mad and that it's not a real thing. And, or how could you be this sick for so long and nobody's helping you if it's a real thing, you know? Um, or the traveling across the world and the country to try to find these different solutions yeah. and using SOT and people are like, what is that? Why can't you just take and antibiotics? Because you pay for it. Exactly. And, but then it's also hard when they, when you hear from somebody that had acute Lyme and they took four weeks of antibiotics and are totally fine. And your family and friends are like, I don't understand. Yeah. Why are are they fine? And you're not fine. I'm like, well, let me sit you down because it's a long story. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's cut me off from, from family and friends and stuff because nobody wants to hear you're sick all the time. You know, you've got the, if you got the flu, you'll say, I'm sick. And people are like, oh, that sucks. And then four days later, they say, how are you feeling? I'm feeling better. But I can't tell them that. And I can tell them in the morning, I feel good. And two hours later, I might be in bed. And I can't explain that. And then I might be back out in the evening and chatting and laughing with them because I feel better. But then the next day it starts again. So they think, they're like, what? Like since this week, I've had family members visiting and they're like, are you feeling better? And I'm like, First of all, I don't know. Like, I only woke up half an hour ago, and I honestly don't know. And that, so you're like, yeah, a little bit better, yeah. And they just, that's what they want to hear. They don't want to hear, you know. So I was explaining to my sister-in-law that I sort of stopped phoning people, and I sort of cut myself off because I don't have anything good to tell people. My daughter is sick. I'm sick. Somebody's sick. So it's not so like we were talking about earlier with your connection to yourself, I think, and your lack of confidence and things, because you can't be truthful. And like within that, you're also lying to yourself at the same time. And you're like, oh, I'm fine. But on the inside, it's truly like everything hurts. I feel like I'm dying. I just want to go back to bed. But like you said, that's not what people want to hear. When people say, how are you? They don't actually want, they don't want to hear that you're not okay because then it makes it awkward. And then they have to like, kind of act like they know what's going on when in their head, they're actually like, I have no idea what this is like and and they can't relate yeah and that's why I think some of them know about Lyme like they've had friends or you know other experiences with it but it's still even other people with Lyme don't always necessarily get your journey right because it's always so different it's always so different and that's why I think what you're doing right now and what this whole entire podcast is about is so important because the more we talk about it and the more we share our stories and how they are all different and how all the different treatments that everyone goes through it is bringing it out from the darkness so that people can actually hear it and understand it and be supported. And that's kind of my next question I have for you is 
what is, I love when people ask me this question too, but what is like the most surprising thing that Lyme has, like this whole journey has taught you about yourself and just like the world as a whole? Oh my God. You can well, take I do. I think I have my moments of telling myself I'm weak and I'm terrible and I'm useless and I'm obviously lazy and maybe everybody wakes up feeling like this, but I'm just one of the, I'm just so weak. I can't, but when I stop doing that, I realize I'm actually very strong. Um, you know, and I've been through an awful lot with my kids and myself and I, I, you know, I know other people look at me and think, possibly think I'm a hypochondriac or, you know, that this is all mad and nuts and that we're not all as sick as we say we are. But in my heart, I know that we are and that, you know, and I look at my kids, too, and realize, well, certainly my daughter, how brave she is and how much she's been through. So I think I'm stronger than I ever imagined I'd have to be. And I also have developed I was, I was, I feel like I was always empathetic, but now I'm like super duper empathetic to people's situations. And, and I can understand other people with chronic illness that mightn't have Lyme, but that they can go through the ups, you know, the ups and downs in one day, um, you know, and you can kind of be like, yeah, totally. I get it. I get that you can be out smiling and laughing for an hour and then need to go to bed. And I don't not believe you. Yep. That, um, I have been very disappointed in people too, you know, you know, I'm sure everybody goes through this, but you lose friends and you, um, you know, that that's hard. That's a hard, the hard part of it. But then you also see who your true friends are as well. Like some, you know, standouts. I mean, I, this, I have this friend who lived in the States also, and I met her maybe 10 years ago and, so she was around for the beginning of this journey, you know, and always believed me and always called me even when I never called back. Mm-hmm. You know, she stuck it out like she didn't give up on me like a lot of the other people did. Um, not necessarily through fault of their own, but, they, you know, if I'm not calling them back or if I'm not going to the things they're inviting me to, she still kept calling me. Um, so she was and she was always very supportive you know, saying, no, I can see that you're sick. I can see it. Um, so, yeah. So you see, you, you get not, don't necessarily last with, you know, all 10 friends, but you, you see the, the good in some people, right? Yes, I totally agree. And I think also with, like you were talking about, the chronic illness community and the Lyme community specifically is so important to have, to yeah. have that support from people that actually know what you are going through yeah. is just but I wouldn't be here without people like Matt over here sharing his story and hyping me up as well. <laughs> and you, yeah. Sarah, I think that everyone that listens to this is going to understand what you are going through and see how strong you really are, because I don't think there's anyone that's stronger than chronic illness warriors because yeah. it's not for the faint of heart. Yeah. And I see my daughter, you know, she, like you, very young and chronically ill. I mean, she hasn't had a childhood. Yep. You no, know, and it's very difficult. I mean, I couldn't imagine. I know what I was up to, you know, in my teens and twenties when I was young, like yourself. Um, and 
you know, I definitely lived a good fun life in those days that I can look back on now, but it's hard for people who are younger too, to go through this and to not experience all the fun teenagery 20 something stuff that you should be experiencing without this stupid illness. Yeah. It's, it's definitely like, I always tell people that I was forced to grow up way faster than normal people my age are, but yeah because of that, I have got to experience the bad things, the good things that most people don't get to experience. And like you're talking about, I've discovered how strong I truly am and my, who the real friends are. And Mm -hmm. that is a gift that I am thankful for my Lyme for giving me. Yeah. And with that, I have one final question for you, which is if I was brand new, brand Mm -hmm. new, just got my diagnosis today, what what is the advice that you would give me, Sarah, from all you have learned over this oh 20, 20 year journey that you have been on? Um, God, that's really difficult. Just that it's going to be a marathon. It's going to be and try not to lose faith because it's just difficult. I, and I would hope that, you know, it's, it's actually I wish every newbie had like a, somebody with 20 years Lyme experience under their belt to talk to but um you know and it's okay to change doctors you know to try one thing and see that it doesn't work and move on to the next thing and it's not a failure and you haven't failed and um and yeah and you're not crazy to try different things it's okay you know yes that didn't work doesn't mean it's the end of the world like because I would have something not work and be like well that's it then you know and and it's, it is hard when you've spent the money on it, but you just have to stop and, and pick yourself back up. And sometimes it's taken me a year to pick myself back up and that's okay too. You know what I mean? It's not like, oh, this didn't work. And next week I've gone to a different doctor. Sometimes I've just given up, you know, for a long time. So it's okay to go through all the ups and downs and it's okay to feel sorry for yourself a little bit. And then to rally (laughs) um and it's yeah it's okay to have those days where you just feel like you're not going to make it but at the end of the day you're always going to make it you're going to make it but um so I think it's just be kind to yourself and know that it's going to take time um which you know nobody really wants to hear that but that's the truth of it um just keep plugging away I think that is the best advice and for someone who is pretty much better I still that made me feel better just hearing that like that just because yeah and I think that that is exactly what everyone needs to learn and be kind to yourself I guess don't don't wait till you're fully you don't wait till you're better for your life to start again as well um you know like even coming on this podcast I thought well I'm not better like I'm still working on it am I am I allowed to be on this podcast am I an expert if I'm not better but you know try and try and enjoy the moments like know your own body and know like okay if you're having a good day yes I can't go out and run a marathon but try and enjoy the the good moments you do have while taking care of yourself so that's my advice I suppose perfect well thank (laughs) you so much for hopping on and sharing your story with us and I for having me I really appreciate you and I think you are strong and you should have all the confidence in your expertise because you have been living this for 20 years and you're just going to keep on keeping on. 
Thank you for listening to our Tick Bootcamp interview with our guest, Sarah Corliss. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Sarah, please visit her Instagram at sarah.corliss. Second, if you've enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share it with your friends on social media. Third, Tick Bootcamp has created a Tick Bite blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been shared with us by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at tickbootcamp.com bite to view the blueprint. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify to get your automatic episode updates of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. Please take a minute to leave us an honest review on your podcast platform of your choice. And finally, if you'd like to search our podcast library of over 250 episodes, subscribe to our email list, or share feedback, please visit our website at tickbootcamp.com. Thank you, as always, for listening.